Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 16, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 24 and we're going to start by reading paragraph 2. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Carol G., The Twelve Traditions, Diane G. Reading the text is Sally A., Chelsea H., and Sue B. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, December 15th, is 7111. 7111. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you big book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carol G. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Melanie. Carol G., gratefully recovered in England. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Carol G. I will now ask Diane G., to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. 
grateful to be here this morning to read the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is may, he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. As a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should never, uh, should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other media, other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the big book on page 24, starting with paragraph two. However, we're going to include the italicized part portion, which is paragraph one, for context, with our focus for sharing being on paragraph two. And I will ask Sally A to begin our study this morning. Good morning, Mel. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Uh, Page 24, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent 
we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, we are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. So I'm just tying this this paragraph that we're sharing on here, the second paragraph of page 24, to that first paragraph that we read yesterday because they really do go very well together. And I want to start by saying that the word supplanted is a is a very strong word and says speaks volumes. Let me just share with you what the big book dictionary says about the word supplanted. Supplanted, replaced, substituted, forced out, overthrown. Let me just say, if these thoughts, we've had a thought that we're going to just have just a piece of bread. In my case, you know, the, the glass of beer would boil down to a piece of bread. Flour for me would basically be a great trigger, right, you know, springboard into the sugar. If these thoughts, and that's really what it boils down to is our thinking is what leads us. That's the crux of the matter. Our thinking is what leads us back to the food because we have this mental defect, this mental this mental blank spot, this mental phenomenon, as it talks about on, on the many different pages of this book, they are hazy and readily supplanted, forced out with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. And, you know, threadbare idea because food was my comfort zone. For so many years, food was like that old lover that I turned to, that old boyfriend that beat me up and that I knew wasn't good for me, but it was such a comfort zone. It was hard to get away. And, and of course, I've been developing for this last couple of years a new relationship with a higher power that has been a true comfort zone. And it goes on to say here a very important sentence here that we're going to see repeated over and over on page 30 and 31. It talks about... This time we shall handle ourselves like other people because that is the, the dream. My dream is, could I just be normal? Well, you know, I'd kind of like to be special, but could I at least be normal? Just normal. But when you look at page 30 and 31, and I'll end with this, it talks about over and over, it talks about like other people. That's the dream of all of us. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could eat like other people. Going down the page, it says the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And then again at the bottom of page 30, neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics or compulsive overeaters in our case of our kind, like other men. And that is what we're talking about this morning here on page 24. If these thoughts, 
We want to be normal. We want to be like other people. We don't get this this crazy idea that we are normal eaters out of our head, and we are doomed to live in a in a in a world of food food fog for the remainder of our life. And I just end by saying there is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And I might just say that on page 84, at the very bottom of that page, it harps on this thought, this thought that keeps being presented to us. If, we, if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. That's what we have to do. When the thought crosses my mind that I can eat like other people, I have to recoil from it as if from a hot stove. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Who would like to comment on the second paragraph this morning? Kim. Lorna. Larry. Melissa C. Anita J. Okay, I'm going to stop with those for just now. Thank you. I have Kim G., Lauren S., Larry K., Melissa, and Anita J. Thank you. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I love that word supplanted like Sally does. So it says if these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted to replace by that through force, scheming, with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. So first of all, I had to bust the delusion I wanted to eat like other people because I don't want to eat like other people. What I want is I want to eat like I want to eat and I don't want the consequences. So I want to look like my friend Melissa, who's a normal eater, but I want to eat like Kim wants to eat. So why is that? How can that be readily supplanted? I think back to the doctor's opinion where it says we cannot differentiate the true from the false. Our alcoholic life is the only normal one. So I try to think of what is my thinking? What, are the, what does it mean to not differentiate the true from the false? So for me, that, that kind of means, I remember if I had enough money, I probably would have bought 10 different washers and dryers because I kept thinking it was shrinking my clothes versus that I was gaining weight. You know, I got to the point where the mirrors in my house were only from the neck up because if I couldn't see my body, then I could deny that I was heavy. You know, I had to eat a full meal before going out to eat with other people because what if they don't have what I want? You know, I, I, if I was angry, I wanted something crunchy. If I was sad, I wanted something cold and smooth. If I needed energy, I would get sugar to pick me up. If I was hyper, I would eat starches. So I could not differentiate the truth from the false. I thought I needed this stuff. This was the only coping mechanism I had. So even though I knew the consequences, it was supplanted by the threadbare idea of what the food did for me. So I could rationalize in my head. I remember binge starting out because I'm going to the grocery store and they have the little candy aisle and they made my favorite candy bar white chocolate. How could I not try it if it's white chocolate, even though I know the consequences if I pick up that candy bar? What if that ice cream is made by Amish people in Pennsylvania and the cows have been grazing on organic grass? Wouldn't that make it okay? Maybe if it's whole grain, maybe if it's fat-free, sugar-free, diabetic, that will be okay. I've just had a really good workout. I can have it. 
if I have it, I'll have a really good workout after. And my biggest one, I'm not going to binge. I just need to take the edge off. That's all I need. I didn't go out to binge. I went out to get right. I just need to feel right. So although those consequences are absolutely clear in my head and these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time I shall handle myself like other people. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Lauren S. Hi. Lauren, <clears throat> Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, yeah, when, when I go through um, sort of statements or sort of like declarations, I just write in examples in the margins and make them all ask questions to really question myself. Like, it sounds good and like I want to believe this, but do I really believe that this happens to me? And, um, And not just with, like, food, but for me, like... I recovered from food obsession today. Like I don't like going through the work right now, I'm not going through it on food because God has recovered in me those obsessions miraculously. But that doesn't mean that we can all still look at like, you know, where am I still trying to run the show and I don't recoil? You know, where do I do I still think I have power and control and and the ability to choose? And for me, it's things like, it's like comparing myself to other people. Like, you know, I've talked about my body obsession and that's just another area that has kind of festered because I left, I, I left it unchecked and you know, I'll just real quickly, I'll, I'll read a blog, you know, your body's a temple, love yourself. And I'll, I'll think, you know, I can do this again. I can finally take power with these women and, and accept how I am. And then next thing you know, I'm judging the next passenger on the bus by what they look like and, and comparing it to to myself and how I'm seen and it's it's in my experience it's really only when I feel that inner peace that love that I feel I feel connected you know I'm really feeling on that I just really don't care what I look like but they're pretty fleeting those moments are fleeting because like I said I've let things come up and block me. And uh, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Larry K. Thanks, Melanie. Larry K., uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Yeah, while the, the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. And um, 
it's funny how God just leads me to, I ask God, you know, what, how could I serve you today? And, um, he just, he led me to this, uh, this journal entry, as crazy as that sounds, but this was years ago. And I'll just read it real quickly. It's, it was June 28th. I recognize that I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. By the grace of God, I had 17 days of back-to-back abstinence. That ended when I picked up again. In looking at my situation, I realized that I did not put up any fight whatsoever. The break came without much thought. I literally didn't consider the consequences. I have this disease, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. God willing, I can receive the willingness to begin once again. I know from bitter experience that I cannot work the steps if I'm not abstinent. It's just that simple. I remember thinking that I wouldn't mess up this time, that somehow this time things would be different. But alas, I can't believe I came up with the word alas. But alas, not so. God helped me to recognize the futility of applying my own willpower towards this disease. Trying harder never has worked for me. The power to overcome this disease must come from a source greater than me. God, may I accept your grace and truly be honest with myself and others. And that was um, years ago. And just, a, a, you know, that was a guy who was just working tools and did not um, understand that I had to have a complete spiritual transformation in the way that it did. I mean, you hear my words. I sort of knew I had an allergy to the body, obsession of the mind, but it was just data. It was just information. What was I going to do about it? I wasn't yet prepared to do anything about it. And I would continue to just work tools and not take the steps precisely as laid out in the big book, and I wouldn't recover. And thank God, by the grace of God, I finally uh, just surrendered and did what was asked of me, and my life has never been uh, the same. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Melissa C. Hi, this is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And, um, you know, I that threadbare idea, that threadbare um, notion, it's, um, it's threadbare because I've done it over and over and over again. You know, I've exhausted that, that um, play. I've played that out over and over again. And, um, and you know, and I'm an intelligent woman who, um, you know, I've been able to learn many lessons and be able to connect the dots, as I've heard someone say here, in many other areas of my life. And yet this is my fatal blind spot, my Achilles heel, that I cannot make the connection um, it's like muscle memory for me, and um, I that thought of the food um, is is like a reflex, you know, to any discomfort of life, whether it's even happiness can be discomforting for me. Um, and so the the small thought of picking something up, um, you know, replants itself in my brain, and I am without defense against it. The, um, you know, and I think about, like, where this comes in for me and my recovery and where this comes in in the big book, I've already decided that I'm powerless. And so, um, you know, and so here at this point, I'm examining, so what do I do about this powerlessness, you know? I've been able to stay stopped for periods of time and then 
some trigger, some thought, some, you know, uh, sugar-free item will come across my peripheral view, and I can't but help to pick it up again, and, and I'm off. And, um, and, you know, and I'm realizing, thank God that that's the case for me, because that's what brought me to my knees, the realization that my muscle memory is always bringing me back to the food. And when I came back in this time in earnest, really desperate, I had just come off of, you know, binging, you know, off of healthy organic foods, and I picked up again. And I came back in here, you know, and found this phone meeting, which has been my lifesaver. Um, and, and I began to really hear this, and thank God I did, because it brought me to God. You know, it, it, the desperation of knowing that I was going to pick up again, that the OA diet was not working, it's not a diet for me, that I was going to have to change everything if I wanted everything to change. And that's where, um, you know, that's where I was able to meet um, my recovery, that um, God helped my hand from that flame. I, I, that's not the threadbare, you know, that's not the, the way I want to live any longer. And um, working the steps, you know, I can, when that food thought revisits, um, most of the time it doesn't because I am in a recovered state. But occasionally that muscle memory kind of makes a, a, a quiet appearance. And, um, and that's when I press into the steps. That's when I can turn to my higher power, um, and that's the only thing that keeps my hand from touching the place. So grateful to be aware of that, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Anita J. Hi, this is Anita J. Thank you, Melissa, for your service. Not, oh, yes, thank you, Melissa, for your service, and also Melanie. This is Anita J. from Massachusetts who got recovered um, sometime in the middle of July of this year. And the sentence that I want to, um, that really I never want to forget, is if these thoughts occur, you know, the thoughts that this isn't smart, kid, if these thoughts occur, they are hazy, and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that we could handle ourselves. But it's the hazy. I um, took a course once in social psych, and one of the experiments is called is being a participant observer. And that is the thought that always occurs. Not that it's not too wise, but that this that I am watching somebody else, but the somebody else is me. It's my hand, it's my mind, it's my mouth. It's the same thing, and it's the same scenario. And start, it always starts in these last in the last couple of months before I stopped eating compulsively, and that is. After dinner, everything is ready, and I decide to have a cup of coffee, and I'm going to have one peanut. One. And anyway, the point of this is that was never true. And I think the surrender came not because I was at my fattest. I hadn't been at my fattest weight in the 200s in over 10 years. It was the behavior. 
this behavior over and over and over. And I think I got it to a bottom with behaviors. And the other thing is the way from that one peanut, what I jumped to, it became violent. That's the word that kept hitting me. This is violent. You are really assaulting yourself. It was just, um, that is the feeling that I don't ever want to forget. And it's the feeling that drives me to pick up the phone and call people, how are you doing? Which that's not a neither. It's, 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 a, it's a miraculous change. And I'm so grateful for hearing all over the country, if I had stayed in Illinois, if I'd stayed in New York, it wouldn't have mattered. This meeting would have reached me as I hear everybody all over the country and now the world. Um, this is the answer. And, um, and it was always here. I feel like, uh, you know, Dorothy, when she returned home, I mean, it was always at home. This book's always been on the shelf since 1978. But I'm grateful just uh, that it happened now. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Before we move on, would there be anybody else that has a desire to share on this paragraph? Yes, this I'd like to Paula. share. May I share? Oops. I heard you call that someone just before Sharon Paula. H. Bossa. Bossa O. Monica. Sharon H. Just, just one second, ladies. I wanted to make sure that I heard Bossa O before Paula. And then I did hear Sharon H. and Monica T. So, Vasa, if I did hear you, would you please go ahead and go, and we'll go with those four. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and good morning, everybody. And I'm Vasa O. calling from Florida, and I am recovered compulsive overeater. And, yeah, this this paragraph. I was exhausted trying to put I, – I, I was exhausted – with everything trying to put the food down for years and years, there was just no more left for me to do. I lost the willpower. There was no more solution for my eating behaviors. And it's not like I didn't try. I tried everything I heard of, I saw, and uh, it would work for a little bit, but it didn't stop. I could not keep it stopped. I had reached and no defense against the volume of my food and, and the sweets. I was doomed. Um, I stopped going on the scale. I didn't want to go and weigh myself anymore because I was just so afraid, you know. I'll, I'll see the truth, you know. I dreaded going and look, looking on the mirror, on the, the, the full mirror. And I was not obese, you know. Yet, you know, it's by the grace of God I found this program I was only 30 pounds or 35 pounds overweight, but I'm only, I'm, I'm little. I'm only 5'2", you know. I've shrunk down a little bit over the years since I got older. But uh, uh, I'm just so grateful that I found the solution and the identification when I started reading uh, the big book, you know, the solution. Again, you know, identifying with the allergy, the body, the mind, and the soul, it was just so amazing. I, found, I, I remember feeling like I found like a secret, you know. I found the secret, you know. And I wanted to share it with people that I liked, 
you know, I, I didn't want to share it with other people that I didn't like, you know. I said, oh, let them suffer because I carried some anger and resentment, you know. So I was selfish, you know, uh, at that time. But the more I understood the disease, the pain, the suffering I was going through, and God wanted me to share that with with other people that wanted it, that, that they wanted what I had. I'm so grateful that the person brought me to the, my higher power, and I wanted to have what she had, and I was ready, and I was willing to do whatever it took. I know I was um, powerless even before I came to the program because I tried to regain that power over and over and over, you know, but I couldn't, and I gave in to the, my powerlessness, and I said, I'm just going to give in to the food. There's nothing more to left to do. I remember thinking maybe someday I'll have the gastro done, you know, my stomach, or my jaws wired years ago. That's what they did in my time, or go to a hypnotist. I was afraid to do any of those things because I didn't want my husband to think I was crazy and or other people, but those thoughts were in my mind, you know. So uh, I'm just so grateful that I have found the solution. It's right here, and I'm glad to be back for the vision for you. And I've never left the program anyways, but I've, I've always liked the big book, and I've done the big book process, and the steps as they are laid out to the best of my ability, not perfectly, you know. And it's nice to go back again, reading paragraph by paragraph, that's the only the only way I can grasp on things. Thank you for letting me share and pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Paula D. Hi, this is Paula D. Hopefully I am unmuted. Um You are and <laughs> thank you and thank you, Melanie, for your for your service yet again. And uh this is Paula D from New Hampshire a compulsive overeater uh, recovered through the mercy of God. We come here, I, I, I'd like to see that, that this line here, the almost certain consequences that follows taking even a glass of beer. Now, I'm going to tell you, in the life of an alcoholic, a glass of beer is like the mildest thing you can do. I mean, if you go along the thing, a glass of beer we're talking about here, related to food. Related to food. Well, it is only, you know, like a cracker. Do not crowd into the mind to deter us. To deter is to stop us. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Even what I couldn't stop starting. But this, and I tell you, this is where I said, the, the paragraph, the paragraph before, we are without defense against the first ring. You didn't get it? Well, let's drop it right down. There is a complete failure of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting your, his hand on a hot stove. Thus is detrimental. You know, the question there, if we are without defense against taking the first drink, what then must be our destiny? You want the answer? Without the aid of a power greater than ourselves? Step two, death or permanent insanity. You say death. Death comes in many forms in many places death of relationships, death and deterioration of a physical body, but the spiritual realm, separation from the God of our understanding. And then it said permanent insanity. This is crazy. We live it day in and day out till it becomes your life. But here we go on because this chapter says there is a solution. 
And with that, ever mindful of the time and grateful for it, I say thank you, and I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Sharon H. Oh, thank you, Melanie, and uh, thank you for your service. And, oh, my gosh, I just heard so many great things today. I've been writing all kinds of notes. But the thing that <clears throat> jumped out to me, too, that hazily, hazily supplanting that old threadbare ID, I, idea but then I come down to there is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And that's, uh, that was a lie that I, I didn't believe that. You see, I, I kept thinking, well, um, it's a temporary failure. It's, uh, it's just an occasional failure. It's, it's just once in a while failure. And um, boy, when Anita shared about the, I'll have a cup of coffee with one peanut, I mean, that was where it just showed me the, the craziness of the food behaviors can start with something so subtle. If I don't accept and believe that there's a complete failure for me against that defense of picking up that one bite of whatever it is that I know my body will send me back the obsession of the mind and the obsession of the mind is what I must work on one day at a time for the rest of my life or I will pick up I will do that I will believe the lie that it's oh it's just a temporary thing no big deal uh, I'll get right back on track because uh, that's what I told myself for years and years um, I'll get right back on track um, you know I could get abstinent I just couldn't stay stopped and now I've been given the the gift through hearing the the absolute truth uh, with no sugar-coated, <laughs> quote-unquote, anything on it, that uh, this is the reality. And do I want to get well, and do I want to stay well? So with that, I pass. Thank you all. Thank you, Sharon H. Monica T. Good morning. This is Monica. I... Uh, am I speaking? <laughs> you you are. Good morning, Monica. <laughs> I thought I heard two names. I'm going, huh? Good morning, Melanie. Thank you very much. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. And what we're reading here is so, so, so important. You know, the first whole paragraph, the first one is all in italics, you know, important stuff here. Listen up, Monica. And the big book is is trying to get me to understand that my thinking is the problem here. I have an abnormal way of thinking. That's part of my disease. And they're giving us all these wonderful examples how this crazy abnormal way of thinking I have will talk me into things, will just push things aside, will get me to the food every single time. I am just so completely powerless over this abnormal thinking that I have. And it's and nowhere here is the book saying, Monica, it's your fault, you're weak, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. It's not saying that. It's trying to explain to me that I do have this abnormal way of thinking. It's part of my disease, this mental obsession that I'm different from normal people. I don't think the same way. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm powerless over this thinking. And I need a power that's greater than me. There is complete failure 
of my thinking, of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Because I have this disease and this mental obsession, I will always, always think I can stick my hand on that hot stove. Or maybe, you know, maybe if I put my elbow on this time, it won't burn me. That's the abnormal type of thinking I have. And, and, and it's not my fault. But they're trying to get me to see this. Monica, you've got to understand this. This is your mind. And you are never going to change it. And I spent decades trying to think differently, trying to override this, trying to do, you know, and never succeeding. What do I need? And that's why this chapter is called, There is a Solution. I need a power that can override this crazy, abnormal thinking that I have. And I, how did I find that? By working through the steps. I found this higher power. I connect with this higher power. I lean into this power every day. And oh my God, you know, he's changed my way of thinking. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. And continuing with our study, if I could have Chelsea H. please read paragraph number three, the alcoholic may say to himself, and read that paragraph. Yes, thank you for your service, Monica. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in that nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? And I'm still Chelsea, and just so grateful to uh, be with you all here today on the line for this studying. And for me, this information is telling me about the brokenness of my mind now and how me trying to um, manage things under my own propulsion continues to fail each and every time, but I still keep trying other ways. And it also points out to me how just me trying to modify my behavior isn't working. And that anything that I try that does make any little bit of sense gets readily supplanted, gets readily forced out. That thought gets forced out, crowded out by anything else, and then the obsession takes over because the obsession by its own definition, dominates all the thinking. So at that point, it doesn't matter what I try to bring into thought. It won't happen anyway because the dominant thought will be the obsession. And then any of these old worn-out things that I used to try, for me that would be switching brands and trying to eat only whole foods or trying to only eat uh, organic or all these other things, lying to myself about whether or not I could um, have flourless items when flour is a real issue for me, all these things that I would try, and each time I would say, well, this time I'm going to do it this way. It's not going to hurt me this time. Or, or if I even um, just started saying, well, you know, I'm just going to have one or two pieces of chicken. I'm not going to really um, fry it, of course. Uh, I'm not going to really eat any more. And then by the time I'm at the bottom of the bucket, it's me pounding, saying, how in the heck did I end up doing this again? Because my main idea was that I wasn't going to do that. But my whole problem is, is that I want to eat like I want to eat, and I don't want any accountability for it, as was said, shared earlier. That's really what I'm after. And, it, and I have no defense 
No defense at all. I'm completely powerless in this particular part of the text here that's telling me. And it doesn't matter. I have no defense, no sufficient force. A couple of these words are on here twice, and, and they're really supplanted is on here twice. And we look at and see just how helpless and hopeless we are when we try to handle. We shall handle ourselves. I can't handle myself. I can't. The best, my A game got me on the phone with you guys talking about food. I can't do it. And each time I keep thinking, if I try another thing, it's going to work. If I try another thing, it's going to work. It reminds me of when I was a kid and we were in the car, and back in those days they had cigarette lighters in the car. And I, I just could not figure out how that cigarette lighter could actually light a cigarette because there were no flames coming from it. So I pushed it in and I put it on my lips and it burned my lips. I never got in and out of that car again determined to put uh, the lighter in again to test and see if it would burn me. Not so with the food. Not so with the food. I would try six ways to Sundays to eat like I wanted to eat and not face the repercussions of doing so. And this information here tells me that that's a broken mind and that the only thing, only thing that's going to help, as I've learned now through doing the work, is establishing some kind of relationship with power. Since I'm powerless, I need to have a relationship with power that is greater than me that can help me solve the problem. Thanks for letting me share, Pass. Thank you, Chelsea H. Who would like to comment on what Chelsea read? Do we have time for Pauliana B? Leah. I heard Sarah and then um, Sue G and Leah. That could probably round us today. Kelly L. Did you say Kelly? Kelly L. Kelly L. Okay, as I was mentioning, we have um, Sarah W., Sue G., Leah M., and that will probably round us out, but if not, we have Kelly L. and Deanna B. Good morning, Sarah W. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Vision, to you. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Very powerful readings this morning, and I wanted to share something. I hope you'll get a little bit of a kick out of it. Um, I was sitting... um, at a, at a program last night for my granddaughter. And I looked over at this little boy, and he had in his hands an iPad, and on it it had a game that he was playing that was called Fat No More. And I thought to myself this morning, first of all, what this game did was it basically had you utilize uh, different people, and they were doing like either an exercise or some kind of behavior. And I thought to myself, that's a perfect app for us. We can be fat no more, and all we have to do is use our fingers and play this little game, and it's going to make us fat no more. But the reality is that not only am I fat in my body, but my behaviors and the way I live my life are totally insane. You know, I didn't just have a food problem. I have a living problem. That's my real problem. And why would I go back and continue to behave in the same way that got me the same outcome and keep doing it. You know, it's it's just plain insane. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I tried to control my body size, you know, the people around me, you know, uh, uh, anything that I could. And the reality was that I really realized deep down in my heart that I had no control. And the only thing I did feel like I had control over was that that was my lover, that food was my friend. And that's the sickness of the whole thing. It's almost like I lie in bed with it, that it's all mine, and that that it's like 
it's going to always be there when I want it. And the reality is that what it did was it made me into a person that was so self-absorbed. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, it doesn't even matter. But how do I want to live? Is that living? And so, you know, the thing that's so hard for us, I think, is to say, oh, my God, you know, I, I can't just go to Weight Watchers. I can't just go to Jenny Crick because I always gain the weight back, always. It never fails. And I think I can pick up something. I think and I, I can have just one. The peanut uh, experience was a riot because it's so true. You know, for me, for Anita, it may be a peanut. For me, it may be, you know, a slice of cheesecake. I might think I can just have one bite of that thing because cheesecake was always my thing. Forget it. I'm going to eat the whole freaking thing. There's no way I'm going to eat just one bite. And if I don't eat just the whole thing today, I'll eat the whole thing tomorrow. So what do I want? How free do I want to be, as is said on this line? How free do I want to be? I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be a happy, productive human being, and that's what the steps allow me to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Sue G. Hi, it's Sue G. Uh, recovered just for today in southeastern Pennsylvania and grateful. And uh, these two paragraphs, they're the new ones, there's something else. And I, I chose the word threadbare, and I looked it up in my little dictionary. Threadbare, overused. Overused to the point of being worn out. Um, so what is that? Well, I'm remembering a skirt I had in the seventh grade, which was when I really started developing. So, oh, my God, I look different now. And this skirt, it was a gray wool skirt. And those were the days when your mommy ironed your shirts. It was the 50s or, or yeah, the 50s. And um, I kept on wearing this skirt. I mean, and it covered up the part of my body that was the Russian peasant doll that I inherited. And so, I, you know, I had this threadbare skirt. I mean, I really used it up. It went to the cleaners a lot, but I, I used it up until it was all worn out, which is just what our thinking is like. In our addiction, we, we have worn out thinking. And why do I stick to threadbare thinking? Well, because I have this idea at the end of paragraph two, um, the second new one we read, or what's the use anyhow? That, that it's hopeless, that, that I, am, I am a hopeless case and there's nothing I can do about it except wear threadbare clothes and have threadbare ideas. And this whole list of things, it's amazing. It's like, I'm, I'm not normal. Oh, dear, eek. But what's normal? I mean, there's a saying, normal is a, a uh, setting on a washing machine. That's not even true anymore, but it used to be. <laughs> and uh, there, there isn't any normal. I mean, this, this is where we're headed, that, that we, we really need something else to get out of this threadbare thinking that, that's old, that's maladaptive, that doesn't solve a single problem. It just makes problems. And, and so we're really talking about coming up against what, what is this thing we have to do to get better. We, we need to change. We need to surrender to change. And we're, we're in a process here, and there is a solution of getting to that point. But, but we, we need a solution. We need help. 
we need a different way of looking at it, not not threadbare, but new. And that's very scary because, you know, I don't want to do that alone. So I, so I have my fellowship of people that have the same sort of threadbare ideas, and and I can stop being terminally unique and start learning how I truly am unique and be a happy person. But but first I have to give up my terminal uniqueness. And thank you for letting me share I pass. Thank you, Suji. Leah M. Thank you, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. Leah M., recovered compulsive overeater. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. Um, you know, I've shared before, I, I'm not, you know, stupid. I have a decent memory. I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but, uh, you know, I have a decent working mind. Um, but somehow, you know, when it comes to compulsive overeating, even though it had burned me over and over and over again, there was for some strange reason left to my own devices and my own resources, I could not remember what compulsive eating did to me. All I would remember, fixate on, is the sense of ease and comfort it was going to do for me. Um, so, you know, that is the insanity that the big book is talking about. The insanity is not, you know, once I'm, uh, you know, my fists are deep down in cellophane bags, why does my pain have no memory? Why am I forgetting to remember prior to that first bite? The big book suggests that I have a defective mind. All action is born in thought. I'm not going to get myself into a binging predicament if my mind uh, has the ability to see the truth. My big book teaches me I have a defective mind and I'm suffering from an obsession where one idea enters my consciousness and dominates it in such a way that all other ideas are shoved aside. And the obsession becomes my only reality. And I am not stupid. I'm not uninformed. <laughs> I studied about the illness of compulsive overeating. I was not ignorant. How, couldn't, how come I couldn't see this aspect and act out on this aspect? Why was I mentally defective? You know, and if I did have a bit of premeditation or precognition, it was taken over by the obsession of the mind. You know, much like we read in Bill's story, you know, where he knew that his drinking had to be stopped. He knew he could not take so much as one drink. He knew he was through forever, and yet what happened? Shortly afterward, he came home drunk. There had been no fight, no, he, you know, despite his high resolve. And that's why, you know, when everybody focuses in on the problems that compulsive overeating uh, causes, like diabetes and, and weight gain and high cholesterol, that does not help you understand compulsive of overeating at all because the real problem is even after all the damage that it did to me even after all the consequences even after the consequences and the disease was explained to me in excruciating detail I still went out as a real compulsive overeater and picked up that first bite and that is the insanity that the big book is talking about and that's what powerless means it means in a situation where I have no defense against that first bite my defense must come from a higher power and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And that brings the recorded portion of our meeting to a close this morning. And I would like to invite everyone else that had a desire to share to stay with us uh, during this, uh, this brief break because we will resume again our study in just a few moments. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning.
Absolutely. We will now close the meeting today with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sue V., would you please read um, a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, it's Sue V., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.